I love the, sta the story of Samuel and Eli. Uh, just the idea that one of the great prophets of the Old Testament who lived in a temple, was familiar with God, whose mentor was, a, was Eli, a priest of great standing and great wisdom. Three different times he heard God's call, and three different times he had no idea what it was. And Eli the same. But the third time, really, Eli figured it out. This was probably God. And so he told his, his, his son, he told Samuel, this is what to do. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And his life was never the same. He was radically, dramatically changed. Now in the gospel, we have another setting, kind of, kind of similar, but with this, we have two disciples who are actively seeking wisdom. They have a mentor, John the Baptist. As they're talking to him, John points out Jesus going by and calls him the Lamb of God. And so they begin to follow him. And I've always enjoyed this because as these two were following Jesus, I don't know, he gets nervous, I suppose. He turns around and sees them, and he says, what do you want? And they kind of, uh, duh, duh, uh, where are you staying? You know, and he said, well, okay, come and see. It's a great story of, of, uh, of innocence, I think, of these two guys. And they stayed with him. And it took some time. By four in the afternoon, Andrew was convinced that something important was happening. So he went out and found his, his brother Peter. And, of course, these three were radically transformed. Now, with us, it's the same thing, I believe. We, God is speaking to us, and sometimes we think it's a dream. Sometimes we, we don't think we're hearing right. Sometimes we just don't know. But what we need do is what was done in the first reading. Ask for help. Speak to someone. Tell of what your hopes, your dreams, your expectations are. Get some advice from someone in your life who has your your, uh, your uh, care in their, in their minds, who has some wisdom. And then keep asking. You may not get the right answer the first or second or third or fourth time even. Keep asking. And finally, you will find a resolution. Now, it will not be the same kind of resolution that you want with absolute certainty, because that's not guaranteed us. Faith does not give us absolute certainty. Faith is another kind of certainty. It lives in our hearts, not in our minds. Now, I spend a little time on these two readings to allow me to get to the, the second reading. Um, the second reading uh, is summed up at the very last verse. You do not belong to yourselves. That is very hard to hear almost impossible to give credence. That's just another one of those sayings he really doesn't mean. But he absolutely means it. We belong to God. And then Paul wants to talk about how we have somehow allowed our bodies to distract us from this. And he says, you know, Jesus was raised body and totally. His body was raised and yours will be raised like his was. Your body has dignity. Respect your body. He said, you, were, you are a child of God. You were bought at a price. The price was Christ's love expressed on a cross. He said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is something wonderful about you. And you are one being. You're not mind and, and body and soul. 
you are one being. You cannot separate body and soul. You cannot say they exist in separate places. I, I have a warmth for God, but I don't know about this little lousy body of mine. It's a terrible distraction to me. The body is essential to who we are. It mediates. It mediates what we know. And we have to come to some kind of resolution about what our attitude is towards our bodies. Now, I um, hesitated to give a talk about sex because I was afraid I hear the clanging of minds shutting, but um, hopefully that won't be the case. And I found a way I hope will be a little bit uh, uh, intriguing for you. I don't know if any of you or all of you have seen the, uh, the TV show uh, um, The Big Bang Theory. Now, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting show. It, uh, and in there you have, you have Sheldon. Now, Sheldon is a genius, and Sheldon recognizes nothing that is in the mind. And this body thing, he just kind of throws it away, he ignores it. He recognizes that some people have problems with it, but that's not his problem. Sex to him is a biological function, and that's all it is. They bring in another person, and this one who plays not a major role, that's her attitude too. It's something biological that we respond to, and they'll name the different parts of the brain that respond to it, and it's a very, very biological study they're involved in. Well, you have then Howard. Howard is a, how do I put this? <laughs> Howard is a cesspool of lust. <laughs> he is, that is it just it overwhelms him. He is so much caught up in his body, has so little respect for himself or anyone else's body. You know, and, and he's not afraid to tell you. He's just blatant about it. You know, and it's not an emotional thing either. It's just a physical thing, the pleasure of it all. Sheldon doesn't recognize the pleasure. That's all that Howard recognizes. Then they bring out Cooper Polly. He's, uh, he's mute in the presence of women. He doesn't know what's going on here. He's dragged into this culture of ours that makes so little of sex. His confusion is, is present. He, he's, his sexuality is confused, really. And he sits there trying to figure out who he is and what he's supposed to do. And then we come to Leonard. Now, Leonard, Leonard has various sexual encounters. And with each one that we see, he gets emotionally tied up in them. For Leonard, there's something more than just the pleasure. And he gets himself wrapped up to where he can't function when this thing breaks apart. He knows the emotional tie that he's having with that woman. He doesn't know where it comes from. If you listen to how he was raised and what his mother was like, you would not be confused by his confusion. You'd be amazed that he could still be alive. You know, it's, it's just amazing how they depict that, uh, the, that woman. But... He sees and senses more, and that's what he wants. And on the edge of that, I believe, is a spirituality. There's something spiritual going on there. I'd be interested to see how this, if this develops at all as this show unfolds. Now, the, the, the other, the fifth party to this is Penny. Now, Penny is the, uh, uh, the girl across the hall. She's, uh, 
She's come to be a starlet. She's failed at that. She's caught herself up in the casual sex of Hollywood. But you see in her, despite this casual approach to sex, there is something going on within her too. There's something about sex that connects her differently than, it, than, than these other people. And even though she seems to always be very blatant about it, she's not. She's not. The problem with all of these people is they have no mentor. They have no teacher. They have not been raised with any kind of understanding about who they are. And so they muddle about trying to figure out who they are, bombarded by, by television, by, by movies, by songs, by images that demean the body. Demean sex in such a way that why would you have any clarity? Sex is a powerful, powerful part of who we are. It's part and parcel of, of, of the package. You, you can't separate your body from your soul or your mind. You can't separate sex from that either. It is part of who you are and it needs to be honored. And when it's not, things break down. Things break down. Our lives begin to fall apart. That's what most of these TV shows are about. A lot of the violence in our world is about sex. There's, I didn't necessarily want to go here, but I will. The, um, the last 2,000 years of Christianity, only for the last 30 have we been, had, had to pay much attention to women. You know, 30, 40 years ago with Betty Friedan and the others, as women's liberation came into being, they began to say, you have to, you have to give us some kind of place. It's not the way it used to be. We belong. And that frightened a lot of men. It frightened a number of institutions, and the Catholic Church was one of them. You know? And the, and the resistance, I think, forced them to go to extremes just to get our attention. Well, I think they're beginning to get it. But in the process, some of these stances that they had to take were probably ones they didn't need to. But they are part of that process of, of, of claiming who they are. You, do, you are not, you do not own your, yourself. You do not own your body. You belong to God, body and soul. You belong. So my advice to you is to find a mentor, an advisor. Read what you know. And, I mean, you have knowledge at your fingertips. And, and you have to be able to look at this, you know, with an open mind. You know, so oftentimes you, you will hear advice from people that you know instinctively is not good advice. It's just not. They're not willing to take into into a, a consideration the power of the sexual drive in the human person. Everything is absolute. We have to find out. And you have a way. God will not leave you in the dark wondering what that voice is within you. Reach out. Find help. Read your scriptures. 
and you'll come to a conclusion about who you are and how God sees you as a beautiful, bodied human being.